Good morning. Welcome to Evergreen Community Church. Uh, if you could turn with me, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 27, but we're going to make it all the way to verse 12 of chapter 12. And the reason why is because these two passages go together. We have the Pharisees are going to confront Jesus about why on earth he thinks that he has the authority to do what he's doing. And then Jesus is going to tell them a parable about them. And Jesus rejects their authority. You see, we're even though we've already moved on past Easter, already moved on past Palm Sunday, the Gospel of Mark slows down incredibly slow once we get to this last week of Jesus' life. For the first three years of his ministry, it's been broad strokes looking at the actions of what he's doing and accomplishing and not even really diving in too deeply in the Gospel of Mark into what he's teaching and speaking about. It's just looking at the actions of Jesus for these first three years of ministry. We had Palm Sunday. Monday, he flipped some tables. And then Tuesday is going to be a day of conflict where he's going to be answering all these different questions and these different traps that the Pharisees are going to be setting for him. And it's appropriate that the conflict would start off. That surprised me too. I don't know if it surprised you guys. But it's appropriate that that conflict would start off out of the zeal that Jesus has for the worship of the true and living God. And it makes just as much sense that zeal for worship and zeal for the purity of his people would be the very thing that awakens his enemies. Let's read chapter 11, starting at verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. This is Tuesday morning. And he was... As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or what gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So Jesus answered, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants 
and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others? Or rather, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told this parable or the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. You know, really here, we're kind of just presented by Jesus himself to authorities. And we see it in that very first question when he asked, was John's baptism from heaven or from man? Was it sourced in heaven or was the authority that Jesus, that John the Baptist was doing from man? Jesus here gives us a pretty simple binary that we can use to look at and judge different teachers who come to you. Is there authority from God? Are they speaking on God's behalf or Are they speaking the thoughts and opinions of someone else? Their own thoughts and opinions? Are they just giving you their interpretation, which is just as good as anyone else's? We're presented here with two options. Because really what we see here is that these two options are fundamental in understanding between true religion and false religion. And sometimes it's a super clear thing for us to detect. Some false religions worship a different God. Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, atheism. 
certain false teachings just go ahead and they just confront us and they're so obviously wrong that it's really easy to detect. But Jesus does not reserve his harshest words for obvious errors. Jesus uses his harshest words for the subtle deceptions. Subtle deceptions that end up being just as damning, just as leading people astray. You know, truth and error, it becomes really hard to distinguish when something's just almost true. That's what Jesus is helping us to detect here. And the, what Jesus does in confronting the Pharisees is actually really cons- instrumental for us today. Because believe it or not, there are false teachers in, in the midst of people who profess faith in Christianity. Sometimes it's surprising to think that people who go through seminary, who dedicate their life to studying the Bible, would not be believers, would not be followers after God. And we're surprised by that. But we shouldn't be, because we have a historic precedent for this. Who was constantly leading Israel astray throughout their whole history? Was it not found in their leaders? And even today, if we look at the church in its current state, when we kind of get a little disheartened, is it not seeing flocks of people going to false teachers, false prophets, people who are using the people of God to make money for themselves, drawing attention to themselves, putting people's hope in themselves, And by doing so, not allowing people to have the only hope of heaven they have, which is fully trusting in Jesus Christ to save them. That's the error, error, rather, that Jesus is dealing with. And it's in light of this that we need to be constantly aware, constantly vigilant. And we're going to look at exactly how we can be vigilant about this. How do we detect this? How do you detect if I'm not a false teacher? Well, don't just presume it. Don't just assume it and ignore your Bibles and not read for yourself and study the scriptures. And the first thing that we see in the Pharisees is the Pharisees, these false authorities, these bad pastors question legitimate authority. They question legitimate authority. And we have a bulletin in the back of your bulletin if you want to keep up with that. They come up to him for a very obvious reason. By what authority they question him, are you doing these things? The the, the, these things are what Jesus just did on the previous day. When he went into the temple, he flipped the money changers tables over and he stopped all commerce in the temple. And commerce wasn't really the main thing that Jesus was focused on stopping. He was bringing judgment on this den of robbers that was hiding people like the Pharisees, giving people this false idea that they were okay with God in their current state. 
And Jesus pronounced judgment just before that on a fig tree. And we're going to see that fig tree comes right back up in Jesus's parable. This plant, which was cursed, that was destroyed, that would be destroyed later in the future in fulfillment of Jesus's words. And he sets out this binary. He asked them a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? You see, when the Pharisees came up and asked this question, they weren't actually interested in an answer. We've been told since the very beginning of Mark's gospel, starting in chapter 2, verse 6, that the Pharisees have been closely attending to and watching with very close diligence the miracles of Jesus Christ. They saw what he was doing. A miracle is not possible for any man to do. And Jesus claimed to be able to do it from his own authority, his own power, that he did it as the Son by the Spirit, that his Father was in the miracles bearing witness and testimony to who he was. Even a blind man could see that. John chapter 9, I'm being serious here, a blind man who had just gotten his eyes. He said to the Pharisees, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, that is Jesus, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees' response to this is telling. Just before that, he, they said, where Moses is, we are Moses's disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we do not know where he's from. You know, you can see a false teacher, not just in questioning legitimate authority. Because questioning is actually a good thing. If you're seeking understanding. If you're seeking understanding, God opens himself up to questions. Isn't that what the psalmist does as he wrestles with the goodness of God? And how can his suffering be paired with God's goodness, God's sovereignty, his control? Because the suffering or the the questioning of faith is one that pursues and seeks knowledge. And if we seek knowledge in God, he provides it but they are not interested in an answer. And we see this even in this moment here because they refuse to acknowledge what they know to be true. They saw the same thing the blind man saw, Jesus performing miracles. The difference is they would not bend the knee to God. They would not listen to God's witness. Instead, they went with their own interpretation 
of what Moses said. And you know what? That interpretation Jesus constantly called them out on is not being derived from Moses, from the word of God, but being derived from their own traditions. Rabbis of the past, not grounded in the word of God itself. They refused what they knew to be true for what reason? We can get to look at their debate. They pulled aside. They came to Jesus to challenge him about what his authority was in doing this. But then the tables have been flipped on them. And they have to pull back. Let's retreat real quick. What are we going to say? How are we going to answer this question? And what's the point of contention? Well, they know where John came from. They know that his baptism, that his message, his authority as a prophet came from God, but they could not affirm that without affirming the person who the messenger came to prepare for. John was not the Messiah. They already approached him and said, who are you? And John said, I am not the Messiah, but I've come to prepare the way for him. They saw him baptize Jesus. I don't know if they saw it in that moment, but the news would have spread. We have it in our Bibles. People knew about it. And John the Baptist said, whenever he was approached or approached about Jesus, when his disciples were shrinking and Jesus' disciples were growing, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Why? Because he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. For them to affirm John's baptism came from heaven, had its source and its authority from heaven, was to affirm Jesus's authority to do what he said. Jesus did not come saying, follow me because I said so. Have a blind faith. Don't ask questions, please. I won't be able to answer. No. Those who came with doubts, he affirmed their doubts, not by just giving them assurance and saying, oh yeah, it's great that you're doubting. He replaced their doubts and assured and firmed it up with faith by doing miracles, by keeping his word, by having witnesses from the father to John the Baptist, by all the fulfillment of scripture itself. They rejected what they knew to be true because they did not have the moral courage to stand up to Jesus. They didn't have the moral courage, particularly because they were afraid of the people. You know, we can look at false teachers, false religions, and we might not be able to sympathize with them. We can't read people's heart motives, and we're not told to. We're not to be naive, thinking that they're all trying in their sincerity to present the truth. All we can do is judge their fruit. And if their fruit is lies, we're not to seek out what their motivations are. Because really, we can't have that knowledge. But they struggle with, every false teacher struggles with the same thing that you and I struggle with. A fear of man rather than a fear of God. They were not prepared to die for what they believed in. But Jesus was. 
absolutely prepared to die for what he believed in. And when Jesus confronts them, he shows them and tells them a parable. And the Pharisees did not miss the significance of this. Verse 12, they got the point. It was about them. And what about this parable made it feel like it was about them? I know it's been a long time since we've been in Mark chapter 4. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us a template for how to interpret his parables. They're not just stories with one message, even though there seems to usually be just one message, one focal point. There seems to be something to the ancient Christian tradition of an allegorical type of storytelling, of fitting characters, real characters, into the story. Now, we have to be careful about now going as far as they did. They supplied every single detail and tried to take things from their historical circumstances to read into the story. But Jesus tells the story in a different way. And they would have seen this. First of all, the Pharisees saw themselves in the story. And let me go ahead and get ahead of myself and say Jesus sees himself. He's inserted himself into the story that he's telling. Verse 6, the last person that Jesus says this master sent was a beloved son. This phrase appears three times in the Gospel of Mark. First, at Jesus' baptism, Mark chapter 1, verse 11. I'll repeat that in case you're writing it down, I'm not sure. Mark chapter 1, verse 11, at Jesus' baptism, the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. At the next moment, the next moment the Father speaks to Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration. Mark chapter 9, verse 7, he says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And you know what? The Pharisees probably missed that. They probably missed the fact that Jesus was inserting himself into this story, but we really can't miss that. So it's a legitimate question to be asking ourselves, who are the farmers? Who are the, who is the master? Who is the son? Who are the servants? The Pharisees would not have missed this because he starts off this parable with a quote almost tra- taken directly verbatim from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, where God has a vineyard, which he has prepared. He's put towers in it. He's hewn out water channels to nourish it. He's put a hedge to protect it. Israel being a vine vineyard was a typical picture. And what does the master do? He does something, and this is where, this is something that would have been pretty common in this day and age, especially in the Roman Empire. He's assuming a background that we don't really have, a background in which people, rich people would have large estates, and that they would assign it to absentee 
uh, the absentee owner would sign it out or rather lease it to tenant farmers who would work the land and send a portion of the crop to their master, the person who owned it, and they would get to keep and live on it themselves. Who is this? Who's living in the land of God? Who's receiving the benefit of God's protection, of God's provision? It's the leaders. The leaders, the same leaders who were condemned in Isaiah chapter 5 are still the corrupt leaders by the time we get to the New Testament. And we should not be surprised because, you know what, the Pharisees, false teachers, bad preachers, nothing new. Rather, they are following a long historical pattern of rejection, and that's that third point. They are following a long historical pattern of rejection. These tenant farmers who are looking over the land, the time has come. It's time, just as what you would do in a normal season, you would send a portion of the the crops that came to the person who actually owned the land. But these farmers didn't. Instead, they rebelled. And you know what? That was actually also something that was pretty common. They never saw this master. They never saw this king. Maybe he's very rich and he owns multiple properties. He probably won't know that we haven't sent in our produce. He probably won't know that we're the ones who have shortchanged his operation. But God knows. God is the one who takes care of. God's the one who's the source of blessing. God's the one who's made them be distinct to begin with. And when God did a work of grace in their life, he expects the same thing out of them, which he expects out of everyone who has been worked on by the Holy Spirit. He has the expectation that there would be fruits of good work. Hence why in Isaiah's day, he said, I looked for justice. He's looking at this tree. He's looking at this plant. Where's justice on it? There's none to be found. Dear Christian, This is the same picture of the fig tree before. Jesus saw that fig tree full of leaves deceiving everyone else. But when he actually came and looked at it, there was nothing on it. These are the Pharisees. And what does the father do? You know, the master sending someone to collect was pretty typical. What was not typical was this patience which the master had. You see, there's a pairing here that while there's this pattern of rejection, it's paired with the kindness of God. They are rejecting the kindness of God that leads to their own detriment. That's that fourth point. They're rejecting the kindness of God. What's unusual is that someone would send servant after servant after servant in his patience. Who are these servants? Well, let's read because, you know, this is another one just to read right down. 
Acts chapter 7, verse 51 and 52, Stephen is preaching to the Jews who crucified Jesus, and he's telling them the story of God's redemption and how Jesus was in fulfillment of all of it. And he ends his sermon at this point, not because he chose to, but because they got enraged and started to stone him at this point. And you won't be surprised why. At the end of his sermon, before he was stoned, Stephen said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. God in his patience to Israel sent prophet after prophet, pointing him time and time again to trust in God, to repentance, to believe in his promises. Hebrews 11 verse 36 says, speaking of these prophets, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in caves of the earth. You know what distinguishes a good, easy way, if you're just looking from the outside, is this a good teacher or a bad teacher? Good pastor, bad pastor. An easy way is to look at their bank account. You know, there's a common thread in history. People who actually proclaim God's word suffer. They're rejected by the world. Don't trust a man who lives in a mansion. Don't trust a man who seeks to find ease in this life when we're told that this life is an evil age that we live in. It doesn't mean there's a certain salary that's not too far to go. That if someone's a false teacher, if they make over this dollar amount, it doesn't mean that people could not be generous to him Give him gifts. I know myself, I've looked at my life and I've received so many gifts from people. I look at my life and I've had all my needs provided for out of the graciousness of God's people. That's why I'm here preaching to you is because of the graciousness of the community here at Evergreen. What I am saying is that I don't know where that dollar amount is, but there is a dollar amount that's too high. And what we see in scripture is there doesn't seem to be one that's too low. Beware of false teachers who make it about themselves, who seek comfort in this life. This is not refined to the Jews. This is refined even in the church age. People are still trying to profit off the people of God. 
And you have to be extremely careful. You have to be careful about who you're supporting, who you're watching. You know what? This is makes it harder in the internet age when you can have so many different pastors and teachers that you listen to. I have so many different pastors and teachers that I listen to online. I don't know their whole life. I don't know all the things that they go through. But I'm what I'm warning you about is if they have millions upon millions of followers, if they're will, wearing $10,000 shoes or a $1,000 jet, or I don't know what price, $10,000 jacket or staying in hotel rooms or flying private jets or own a private jet, that's a pretty clear sign. And yes, a clock, broken clock can be right twice a day. But you have to be so careful with listening to false teachers because the truth that they teach is mixed with error. And that error is not something that's something that we can just play with. It's dangerous because it teaches us not to trust in God, but to entrust our lives to them and say, I follow X person or Y person, not I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They're rejecting God's kindness. You see, the amazing thing is, is why on earth if this, you know, this is the unbelievable part. This is what makes it so clear to us, even if you did not know Isaiah quote, even if you didn't know the the different characters who Jesus is bringing into the story to have symbolic representation, even if you didn't know all that, if you just see how unrealistic this is, that someone would have the kindness and the patience to give them time to repent, to give them time to send the crops in. And then somehow in his mind thinking, oh, they haven't respected all the other people who they've beaten and murdered. I'm going to send my son to them. God the Father did send his son to them. And it probably went over their heads but they did exactly what the Pharisees would eventually do. They killed the son. If the Pharisees knew that this was about them, it's very possible that they listened to the story and heard Jesus saying, I know what you're up to. Don't you know? Your fathers have killed the prophets. You're a stiff-necked people who will not repent. And I know you're trying to kill me. Jesus, on other occasions, made them, said that out loud. And they said, you're crazy. Who's trying to kill you? In all their rejection, their evil is amplified because it's against the, God, the backdrop of God's own kindness and love. But the most important thing for us to know as Christians, if you're disheartened by the church, if you see the masses of people flocking to false teachers, false prophets, maybe falling into the more subtle false religions like Jehovah Witnesses, if you're shocked by that, 
this last point should help. Their rejection does not thwart God's plan, but rather he uses their rejection to establish his plan. The rejection of the people of God, the rejection of the Jewish leadership was not thwarting God's plan. In actuality, what they were doing without even realizing it, what they intended for evil, God intended for good, to accomplish good. Jesus reminds them of the very Psalm, Psalm 118. When Jesus rode in on a donkey on Sunday, they sang to him Psalm 118 or a portion of it. And Jesus says, have you not read? It's almost as if you were just singing it two days ago. What's in that psalm? Is it not in that psalm that God says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. Who put Jesus on the cross? Whose plan was it? It was the planets of these people who sought to murder Jesus, yes. But more or ultimately and more importantly, it was the plan of God the Father to atone for the sins of his people. Jesus dying on the cross was the God's doing. This is something that constantly the New Testament authors end up rejoicing in. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 21, Paul says, talking to Gentiles, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? Lots of different varying ideas of it. But I think it's worded best in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, when he says, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. The cornerstone was the most important stone. It was the foundation. It's what stabilized the whole thing. Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone of some physical building in Jerusalem. That building was looking forward to everything Jesus would do. And as soon as Jesus died on the cross, as soon as he rose from the dead, the temple became obsolete. Its function no longer valid because everything it pointed to was fulfilled. Jesus was not rejecting the Jews as Jews. Jesus was not rejecting true believers as believers. True believers were not resisting the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers were resisting the the Holy Spirit. Israel as a nation, people who were just born into that nation, presuming they had a relationship with God by their birthright, who thought they, they, did, they did not have to turn from their sin and did not think they had to even believe in God in order to be right with him. Those are the people who were rejected. The church, the temple of God, the assembly of the saints is something that we have right here in this room. 
For 1 Peter chapter 4 says that each one of us, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, you come to him, Jesus, as a living stone rejected by men, just like Jesus, just like the cornerstone, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The temple of God, God's presence has always been in the midst of his people, not just vaguely defined or genetically defined, but defined by their faith in God. The people of God have always been one and the same. The difference between Old and New Testament is that the Holy Spirit does not just move within the borders of Israel today and just every once in a while going outside of those borders. But today the Holy Spirit moves and makes believers of and makes living stones for a spiritual temple out of peoples of the whole world, Jews included. When Jesus said that he would take away the field that belonged to them and give it to others, he was not saying he was taking away from the Jews as Jews. He was not taking it away from Israel and their saying that the these ethnic people no longer had access to salvation. He was taking it away from the ordained leadership, the people who were the false teachers deceiving the sheep. That's who Jesus took it away from. And Jesus, like he promised he would do, judged these false shepherds and said, follow me, the good shepherd. Look at me, believe in my words. And if you believe in my words, you will have eternal life. And you won't need a physical building anymore. Because now of all the nations, when they gather together, will be assembly of the saints. In the past, there was a place where you had to go to worship the true and living God. As Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, it's in Jerusalem, there's a temple, It's the temple of David. But there's coming a day when the people of God will worship him, the living God, in spirit and in truth. I just want to remind you again. We're looking at false teachers. We're not surprised that they question God, but we question, we look at them and see how they question the legitimate authority in order to establish their own. We see that they fall into a, a big pattern, a broad pattern that should not surprise us when we find unbelieving pastors, even though at first glance it seems kind of weird. I agree with you there. I'm not sure how someone could, in good conscience, or even see the value and worth in being a pastor if they did not believe in the gospel. But beware, dear Christian, that that is a reality. Beware because we don't want to be just proud and self-sufficient. If Jesus did this to the ordained leadership in Jerusalem, do you know what that means? If he cut off the natural branches, Romans chapter 11, 
Can he not also cut off the ones who were put in way later? Don't presume on God's grace. Don't presume about it, but pursue it. And pursue a faith seeking knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in him, the great high priest who has died for all of the sins of his people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you spoke your final word through Jesus Christ and in sending him to redeem us from our sin and misery and bring us eternal life. What a blessed privilege. What a grand hope that we have. And Lord, help us today. Lord, you still speak through people. You still teach through people. You still use the mouths of men to communicate the truths of your word. May we, Lord, listen to your words spoken through men only so far as they teach the truth of God's word. Only so far as they point us to Christ. And may we beware not just of false teachers, but also of ourselves being false converts. That we would trust in Christ alone for our salvation. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.